Welcome to the show. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Baseball, an institution here in St. Louis. And for many fans, it's been all about Cardinals baseball. And you can understand why. They have been one of the nation's oldest and most successful baseball clubs. The St. Louis Cardinals, they have won 11 world championships, the most of any National League team, and second most to the New York Yankees. 19 National League pennants, 14 division titles, some of the greatest names the sport has ever seen. And they have delivered a lifetime full of memories. However, for 52 years, there was another team in town, the St. Louis Browns. Their memory and their legacy still carries on today. And that's through the St. Louis Browns Historical Society and Fan Club, a fan club designed to keep the club alive and to celebrate a time in baseball when there were two teams in the Gateway City. Ed Wheatley is the president of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society, a labor of love. Ed has been guiding the fan club for years, and in many ways, because of him, the St. Louis Browns are alive and well today. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you for your time tonight. How did this all come about for you? Well, I've always been with the Browns. My, you know, my dad played pro ball and big semi-pro leagues in the 1950s and 60s, and a lot of the Browns, you know, never went up to Baltimore. They shortly came back. So I got to know about these guys as a little kid growing up. I was a bat boy. And so I knew about this legacy. So, you know, as the years went on, in 1984, Bill Bohr started this fan club, and I became involved. And then, you know, I was just kind of perimeter involvement because of uh, my other jobs and things. But when I retired, the aging of a lot of the leadership was to the point they were looking for some help, and I just said, I'll step in, and we're going to invigorate this club. And, you know, it's like we have luncheons with over 400 people coming. We've got events all throughout the year. It's just amazing. It has to be amazing to see that after all these years, they still have a ton of fans. Well, they have a ton of fans, and it's not just local. It's across the country. You know, we had a big Zoom call because uh, we didn't want to have a round table. We usually have a, a winter and a fall round table. You know, the part that's really amazing is, you know, there, you would think Brooklyn. Brooklyn Dodgers would have a fan club or Philadelphia Athletics. And Boston has well, some where men, you know, produce kind of a newsletter, but there's no active. And it's the men and women who love the Browns who are still alive come. But we found it's also their children and grandchildren coming to these like who are these guys what is it that my grandfather would always have this browns hat on or a brown sweatshirt you know what is this team because they haven't played in 69 years and yet as i spoke a moment ago we'll have over 400 people at our annual luncheon it's it's amazing what's the response you get from those that are friends family maybe second generation of these great players that you decide to keep alive for them, their memories, for those families. And, and so what's their response to all this? You know, the fans who come that have are relatives, children, grandchildren of the players who were part of this, it's amazing. I get one, two emails, letters a week uh, from these. We, there's, we, we've built kind of a close contact and they all want to become more of a part. They love that we're keeping the legacy alive, that this was a special team their, play, their parents, grandparents, whoever it is, played for this team. And, you know, and the other part of it is we really don't have a franchise. The Baltimore Orioles have neglected the Browns. They've chosen to honor their heritage in a different way, and the Browns aren't a part of that. So in a way, they come to us thanking us 
you're keeping this team, this legacy alive. All right, educate us. Why did the Browns leave and why did the Cardinals stay when they both were here in St. Louis? Well, you know, it goes back, uh, the history of baseball in St. Louis goes back to 1892 when the St. Louis Cardinals came into the National League, came over as the Browns from Chris Vonderey's American Association team. So, you know, for until 18, through 1898, they were the Browns. And then they adopted uh, the Perfecto name in 1899, and as they changed their uniform to that lovely shade of Cardinal Red, they thereafter became the Cardinals. And then in 1901, the American League was formed, and there was a team in Milwaukee called the Milwaukee Brewers. But St. Louis was this growth town. It was uh, fourth largest in the country. It was a gateway to the West. Baseball really turned against Bill Vec, and they actually forced him to sell the team. It wasn't forced to move, but his grand plan to come to St. Louis to win the city over because the Cardinals were in dire shape. So, you know, it almost happened. The Cardinals almost went to Houston, except there was a, another German uh, beer salesman on the south side of St. Louis who thought if he bought a team, he could sell a lot of beer for his brewery, and that was Augie Bush, and the rest is history. So, you know, it's just a shame that you know, there is nothing except us in this fan club, in this historical society, that really keeps the Browns' history, legacy, alive. And I also have to throw out, the St. Louis Cardinals have been fantastic partners. You know, the DeWitt family has a heritage with their uh, Bill DeWitt Sr., who was a longtime general manager, executive, and even for several years owned the Browns. And they have been good partners helping us keep this alive. But it's really the day in and day out, about 700 fan club members across the country that are there for our events, our roundtables, our Zoom calls that love the Browns. Ed, please stay with us. Up next, the story of Eddie Goodell and how that changed Major League Baseball and has quite a tie-in to just more than the St. Louis Browns. It's a great story. That's next on Scoops with Danny Mack here on Fox 2. Scoops with Danny Mac on Fox 2 is brought to you by Schnooks, Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert, Lou Fuse, Triad Bank, Lordo's Diamonds, your family's jeweler for life, Rutler Pest Solutions, most trusted family-owned pest control company in the region, and the Missouri Athletic Club, two clubhouses, one platinum club. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Ed Wheatley, and he is the president of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society. He has written a comprehensive book that looks back at the history of the Browns called St. Louis Browns, the story of a beloved team. And he's also had two documentaries on the Browns that have garnered national attention, earned Ed and his team Emmy Awards for their outstanding work. And let's bring back in Ed Wheatley to the show. And Ed, I'm sure there are people wondering right now, and it's been so many years since the Browns left town, as they watch this, how many of the Browns that played are still with us today? Well, there were 764 men who played for the Browns over the franchise period 1902 to 1953. And today, unfortunately, we're down to four. There's George Elder, who is the oldest living major leaguer. Uh, and we've had quite a few of the oldest living former major leaguers in the last uh, five or six years. Then there's Eddie Mickelson, 
and he still lives in St. Louis. He's the only one. Uh, there's Frank Saucier, who uh, was the gentleman one of, who put up some of the best college career baseball ever, but he his time was taken by the war. And unfortunately, he is not remembered for his greatness there. He's remembered for the gentleman that Eddie Goodell pinch hit for in 1951. And then the fourth one is uh, uh, all-star here in 1953, Billy Hunter, who then had a great career up in, in uh, the Orioles and then managing uh, the Texas Rangers. Okay, you mentioned Eddie Goodell, a crazy baseball story that comes with a lot of historical tentacles attached to it, and they're still felt today. Bill DeWitt Jr. is the bat boy that day. Jay Delsing's father, Jim, was the pinch runner for Goodell, and Jay turns out to be a local golfer, PGA golfer from St. Louis. So it's pretty amazing to see all the history in that one famous walk. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the whole story, and, you know, Jay and I have talked multiple times about that. And, you know, you know, one of the real quick interesting things, yes, you're correct, winner, uh, Eddie Goodell, three foot seven inches, comes up to the plate. Uh, he's wearing a uniform. It turned out it was Bill DeWitt Jr., the owner of the Cardinals, uniform. He was the bat boy. They put a one-eighth on the back, you know, and the one-eighth was in the program. You know, we have the scorecards from that today, and, you know, people look at it, and they thought it was like, well, just another Vec joke. At the beginning of the second game, the first inning, the Browns come to bat. Frank Sauce is supposed to bat. He played right field, but he is hurt. He can barely throw a ball. And a whole crowd from Washington, Missouri, came down in multiple buses to watch this superstar college and minor league player. This is one of his big breakout uh, games. And it's been told by Vec, Frank Saucier is going to start. He doesn't tell the rest of the story. So all of a sudden, the bottom of the first, now batting for Frank Saucier, Eddie Goodell. And this little guy comes walking up, swinging his bats, Ed Hurley, the umpire's looking at him. The Tiger manager, who they're playing, is comes running out. Zach Taylor comes out. He's got his contract. Ed Hurley, the umpire, looks at it and says, play ball. Well, now the dilemma is between Bob Swift and Bob Kane. Bob Kane's the pitcher. How do I pitch to a guy who's three foot seven, six inches, and has a seven inch strike zone? He's, can I throw underhand? No, you got to throw overhand. Swift lays down on his belly. No, you got to get up. So he's, you'll see the famous picture of him kneeling on his knees while he throws four pitches and trying to get that seven-inch strike zone. They're all balls. Goes to first base. Out comes Jimmy Delsing to uh, pinch run for him. Eddie slaps Jimmy on the butt, goes back towards the dugout, which in those days was the third base side of Sportsman's Park, and he's waving his cap and bowing. And then he goes in to the dugout into immortality. But they ask him, why didn't you swing? And the old cusp of a Marine and Bill Vec had told him, Peretti Goodell, he told me if I swing, there's a sniper on the roof that'll shoot me dead. The commissioner said it never happened. And if you go look at the 1951 official book of baseball, you won't see Eddie Goodell batted. So the question is, who did Kane throw to? Who did Delsing run for? What happened to Sauce? Did he bat or not bat? And finally, the next year, they put it in. But it was so incensed, the commissioner did not allow that to be put into the official book of baseball in 1951. So that is arguably the most famous story of the Browns, who, in your opinion, is the most famous player that wore that Browns uniform? The most famous player the Browns had is probably one of the most famous 
and greatest players ever, George Sisler. George Sisler was just, you know, here is a man who could just hit the ball. He started as a pitcher, and that's what he wanted to be. Kind of like Babe Ruth. You know, both were pitchers. He actually beat Walter Johnson twice in his pitching career, but he was such a good hitter, regularly hitting over 400, you know, that he had to go play first base, and he turned out to be one of the the best defensive first basemen of all time. I mean, you know, his peer at the... That time was really Lou Gehrig who got all the press. That famous picture uh, you see of in 1939, all that first class of Hall of Famers going in, just standing, sitting on the bench. Um, the night before, they had a dinner, and the and the uh, grandchildren were showing me documents and telling stories about how all these great men, you know, Speaker Ruth. Matthewson, Hannes Wagner, Cy Young, they were and Ty Cobb. He wasn't in the picture because he showed up late, but he was he was there uh, in this discussion. And they were all talking about if they were put together a team, who would they who would be their first pick? Cobb, Ruth, and the majority of them said George Sisler would be the man. Ed, this is great. Stay with us. Up next, what might have been for baseball here in the Gateway City, the near misses that kept the Cardinals from going and the Browns from staying. That's next on Scoops with Danny Mac here on Fox 2. Scoops with Danny Mac on Fox 2 is presented by the Ascension Charity Classic, Stratum Structural Systems, Royal Banks of Missouri, Hair Saloon for Men, and Family Golf and Learning Center. Play your best. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Ed Wheatley, the president of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society. Ed, we talked a lot about how this is a labor of love for you in doing all this work and research. So what have you learned about the Browns that maybe you didn't know about? But generally speaking, what have you learned about this great team? Well, I think, you know, first of all, the first thing you lose, you, you, you learn is that people are shocked to he- understand the history of the team. You know, and as I alluded earlier in, in, in one of the comments, is what could have been? It all goes back to Branch Rickey, the owner of the uh, Browns, Philip DeCatsby Ball, just didn't want to spend the money. And, you know, he and Rickey clashed. They were two big egos, by the way. And so Rickey leaves. He goes to the Cardinals, where Sam Braden has just bought the Cardinals and wants to win. Tell Rickey, do it. Well, what would have happened? Well, we know what happens with the Cardinals. 26, 28, 30, 31, 34, 42, 43, 44, 46. World pennants. How many of those could have been won by the Browns if Ricky had stayed? At that same time, after he left and went to the Cardinals, the Cardinals didn't play in Sportsman's Park originally. They played in Robeson Field, and it looked like the Cardinals, who were not a good team between 1892 and the mid 1920s, they, they were generally low, generally last place. And it looked like they may be run out of town because where are they going to go for a stadium? Uh, there was talk of moving. They didn't have the money to build this new stadium. But Branch Rickey, remembering how Philip DeCatsby Ball wasn't a big spender, went down to Sportsman's Park and made him a deal saying, half the time your stadium's sitting empty. Why don't we fill it and pay, pay use? And all of a sudden, he makes that deal 
with the Cardinals and the Browns. And all of a sudden, the Car Cardinals have money to invest more into their farm system. So, you know, just those two points with Branch Rickey, what if they built the minor leagues under the Browns? What if they wouldn't have allowed the Cardinals to come into Sports Sportsman's Park and be there for the next 32 years? What if that all happened, the Browns would have reigned? And then probably one of the most important aspects of the Browns is 1922, one of the greatest baseball teams of all time, and it's forgotten. Now, what happens is they're leading the league. It looks like St. Louis is going to have its first pennant because the Cardinals won't win it until 1926, except Sisler gets hurt and he's out of the, the lineup. And, uh, you know, what would have happened if he had been able to play at George Sisler's caliber the last three weeks because at the end of the season, they lose to Babe Ruth and the Yankees by one game. The Browns would have had the first pennant, the first World Series in town. Instead, four years later, it's the Cardinals. The Cardinals win. The town goes from brown to red. It has to be amazing. The memorabilia, uh, the pictures, the artifacts that many former players and I'm sure their family members have delivered to you to keep their memory alive over the years. Oh, we get, you know, these last two or three years with the pandemic, people um, cleaning out, finding boxes. I just had a lady uh, two months ago, I just found this huge box of old Cardinal, old, old Brown stuff. Come over, it's, you know, take it, restore it, keep it for your archives and show it. So it is, it, it is to, important to keep that memorabilia alive. Finally, Ed, what do you hope that people take away from all the work that you have put into this? That the Browns are not a team that baseball forgot, that people have remembered them. And, you know, it has given us the opportunity. You know, I've spoken twice in uh, the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and up there you get a lot of Northeasterners, you know, Boston, New York, uh, and they're like, what are you talking about? You know, I've been on the radio in Baltimore. What are you talking about? And it's that there were these men, these 764 men who played here, that there was a time a person in St. Louis could go to a ball game. You know, this was the time the Cardinals had not hole passes. The Brownies had the Brownie Brigade card, which got you in free. And that's something that's missing because kids would flourish to the baseball stadiums in those days to see their heroes because they could get in free with these passes for good conduct and grades in school. And the thing that was special about St. Louis and why baseball in St. Louis is so important was we could go and see all the players. This was before interleague play. You know, most cities, you had a National League team or an American League team. But in St. Louis, everybody came. You could see Babe Ruth, Bob Feller, Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig, but you also got to see Jackie Robinson and all the great National League players. And I think that, in putting this together, just educated this fan base. And, you know, you and this long list of fantastic announcers, you know, carried the game in a way that people understood it. And as, you know, I've written multiple books and films, and it's like, when I was a kid, and I'm, everybody will remember, you could ride your bike around your subdivision and this was when air conditioning was just coming in, not everybody had it. You could hear the ball game and never lose the, what, who was at bat or the score because it was on everywhere. It's totally different today.
But it was, that was the base of where it was all founded and it was all put together. Ed, thanks for all your work and what you've done. Well, thank you for having us. The Browns, still a baseball story here in St. Louis. And to learn more about the books, films, gatherings that the Browns Historical Society puts together, head to their website at thestlbrowns.com. Ed and his team have done just a fantastic job keeping the memory of the Browns alive. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Thanks for joining us on Fox 2 and Scoops with Danny Mac.